Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And it is, guys, it's a treat. It's a treat. It's a treat today. We have with us Asha Tan. Asha, how are you? Good, thank you. It's uh, For those shooting into Asha for the first time, we're going to go into some places which are novel for me as well. But just so you know, Asha is the co-founder and the CEO of a thing called Coinjar. I am. <laughs> I'd love to find out more about what Coinjar is, but I think just to sort of understand what we're doing here, because even I don't even understand what I'm doing in some of this in this conversation today, which I think is kind of useful for those that are tuning in. Um, if you don't know what blockchain is, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, um, I think this episode may serve you pretty well because I'm coming from a novice's perspective, not having invested in cryptocurrency in any way, but I do have a background in engineering. Um, for me, I didn't invest because it is speculative, but we can talk all about that sort of stuff. Um, and I'd love to sort of start with perhaps your view on the world in terms of what you see as Bitcoin being. Well, that's a loaded question. And I think in, in some ways, it's like asking someone, what does money mean to you? And it means different, a lot of different things Freedom! to different people. No, okay, sorry. Um, but yeah, in, in essence, uh, it's asking, what does money mean to you? Sure. And I guess Bitcoin is like money. It's got some uh, special qualities that make it a, a good type of money. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not controlled by any one government or one organization. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why a lot of people are drawn to it. But uh, it's essentially the same thing. It's a new way of thinking about money. And uh, again, different people have uh, different opinions of money and uses of money. So uh, it's quite a broad, broad question. But this specific type of money, uh, decentralized money, uh, digital money, is definitely something that, that caught my eye uh, seven years ago. I love that. And so just shooting into that, like how, like you talk about decentralized money, there's nobody regulating it. There's nobody looking after someone's money. Yeah. I mean, there's always a sliding scale 
um, about how much control one entity has and you know how much control you think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, Bitcoin's definitely on this the scale of no one really has true control over it. Um, some people might point that well these people have bigger say in it either by investing a lot of money or being mm-hmm. active participant in the industry. Uh, but the fact is there is no one person to complain to, one person to make changes to. And that's a new idea. Usually there's somebody to complain to, uh, centralized companies, corporations. If I don't like your podcast, I know who to go to. If you don't like my company, you know where to file a complaint. Yeah. Or even if you, uh, you might go to other parts of government if you're unhappy with certain things. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin is uh, quite decentralized to a point where there's no one really to complain to if things go wrong. Okay, so where do you think that was birthed out of? Like, obviously, there's the white paper that gave birth to blockchain and uh, and um, and Bitcoin from there. But I think what I'm trying to allude to in that question is more the undercurrents of why was there a need to establish a new currency? like a new form of currency? Why digital currency? Where did that emerge from? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint exactly the feelings or the motives of people behind the initial writings or technology because mm. we just don't know who they are, him or her, but they. Um, but very much the initial groundswell of movement uh, was around unhappiness of the financial system, mm. unhappiness of current ways money works, and seeking better ways to do money. So um, I think there's a quote on the internet that says, uh, uh, money is the bait, philosophy is the trap. Money is the bait, philosophy is the trap. Yeah, and I think that's quite similar with Bitcoin, right? You hear about this cool type of money, which, you know, it's sort of speculative. It may go up. It's kind of sexy. And then you learn about it and you think, why am I using you know, why do I have regular money? What type of money I use? And then you go down a rabbit hole of thinking, hey, maybe there are some ways which this could be made better. Maybe there are some ways where the current mon- monetary system doesn't meet all our expectations of what it should be in this day and age. So, you know, before there wasn't really any alternative. And right now there is an alternative and more and more people are taking part in it. Yeah, so I think it breeds a, a really interesting question to light in terms of what is value and how do we value? And I think you're kind of alluding to that because there's almost like when we stop to just take a moment to pause and this was kind of, I almost had a, a breakdown about two years ago, <laughs> like not a serious one. But when I first started thinking about, okay, where does money come from? And I started realizing, oh, actually, it's not my government that controls money. It's private institutions that control and regulate the, you know, these banking institutions that control the flow and flood of money in markets and they're controlling the markets. And it made me realize that, but there are some people out there that, you know, and sorry to get so morbid so early on in the episode, but there are people that are, you know, in financial debt that actually end up taking their lives because of things like financial debt, right? It's like a, it's like a big thing. Like our financial concerns actually have serious impacts on us as human beings, right? It, it, decides where you can live, where you can send you, like what school you can send your kids to, what sort of people they grow up to be, right? So there's a lot in there in terms of how money is controlled and circulated. Um, but then the, the conversation around value is kind of where I landed on the back end of having processed all these under awarenesses around, okay, where does that money come from? Where does it go? But at the end of it, it's, okay, what does it do for me? And it, it helps me 
express my value exchange. So for example, like I may go out and invest in a guitar that's, you know, a couple of thousand dollars means a lot to me. I love music. I love instruments, but someone else will look at that and go, that's a bit exorbitant, you know, but it, it comes back to the money is helping me make a value exchange with what I enjoy spending my value, my energy, my time, because I'm basically buying things with my time, right? Because my time is what brings me my money at present. And so looking in at that, the interesting thing is money was once backed by gold. Is that correct? Yeah. But it hasn't been for a while. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's efficiency of the monetary system. It's a efficiency of finance. And, and I guess a lot of smart people have given it a lot of thought. But uh, from your perspective and my perspective and the, the common man's perspective, sometimes that doesn't line up with your own personal values or, or what they're trying to do with money. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good conversation to have, good conversation to think about. Um, yeah, and I guess uh, besides the implications of value, which you spoke about, I think there are some larger societal implications. Mm-hmm. Um, like- you know, if you use the, the currency of a country, uh, you sort of have some sort of identity with that currency. Um, usually it's because of the government where you live. Um, nowadays, people tend to live all over the world, mm-hmm. spend more time on the internet than, you know, interacting with people outside or people in their their own country. Um, So uh, the question is, well, if you have a value system based on a type of money, uh, do you want to identify with a new value system? And what are the incentives? uh, Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is uh, everyone wants a tribe. Uh, you may be a part of a guitar playing tribe, a podcasting tribe, and you know now there's a, a group of people who want to be identified with a tribe of people who seem to be able to think independently and uh, have shown to think about money in a certain way that I guess draws them to this new asset class. And so we kind of wrapped our heads around what Bitcoin is. It's the ability to basically exchange money digitally. It's like the internet for money. Would you, is that a safe sort of way of putting it? Yeah, I mean, there are lots of uh, parallels to what Bitcoin is. And uh, sometimes people try and draw, uh, I guess, metaphors and examples which don't completely fit. Uh, Mm. Some people said uh, electronic gold is quite a good one. 
Um, yeah. So if you think about gold, it, it's quite it's quite scarce. Uh, one gram of gold of me is the same as one gram of gold of you. Hmm. Uh, and it can, as long as it's electronic, so it moves like email. Um, but there are lots of quirks and interesting features that I guess make Bitcoin uh, unique in its own way. It is both sort of like cash and gold at the same time and uh, lots of other things at the same time. I think what you're referring to there is both the fluidity, the potential of it being fluid, but also the potential of it being quite a good way of storing currency. And there's currently two camps, right? Like people are looking at it as some people see it as being quite fluid as its potential use for the future and other people looking at it as being quite a... um, like a silo sort of thing. Yeah, it's quite ideological. And even I spoke about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, having identity and in, in money. And I guess even in the cryptocurrency world, there are different camps where people have different identities. And There's a civil faction yeah. inside. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess, you know, everything comes down to, to your opinion of the world and, you know, what has value. And again, even in this small quite niche industry there there are different views and it's quite refreshing sometimes know that well we're not all we all sort of believe the same thing but sometimes the interpretation of that takes a a skew yeah one of the things that i i found really um really poignant when i was reading up uh doing some some of the research and some of the background of the stuff that you've done is it's very difficult to and i'm paraphrasing you so pardon me if i get it all sorts of butchered because i'm pretty good at butchering things um, is you mentioned that it's very difficult to draw parallels or make come up with metaphors for what the future is using metaphors from the past. Yeah, I, I mean, we try to explain things as well as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to have a very short memory of how we thought things were going to turn up. So we've been doing this for about seven years now. And we've kind of seen uh, even traditionally uh, tech-savvy investors or clued-up people have quite dissenting opinions of, you know, Bitcoin and digital currency. And, you know, they will always pull up, you know, an example about tulips or something else from the, the past that may or may not have a lot of relevance. I'm sure there are a lot of lessons to be learned from history. Mm. Uh, but, you know, cherry-picking one example and saying, hey, the future is going to be like this because of this happened 300 years ago. Uh, it's not always a, a perfect comparison. So um, I, I think the, the best attitudes have been that of, you know, openness, uh, exploration. Uh, future can be a, a bit of a wild and crazy place. Um, also, uh, having some agency in this future we build as well. Um, sure, you know, we're all just small uh, pieces in a, in a large, larger puzzle, but uh, I think... Uh, part of being an entrepreneur, part of being in startups is, you know, you, you do believe you can make a small dent in the future um, by, by doing whatever you think is right. I love that. So let's tuck and dive into that agency a little bit. So you said seven years. Seven years ago, where was uh, Ashatan? Where was Bitcoin? Where was CoinJar? What was going on here seven years ago for you? Um, and what was going on in the Bitcoin space? What was going on in the blockchain Bitcoin space? And what was going on in your life? that kind of brought you to, like, give us an, an idea of where things were at seven years ago. Sure. So just as I was starting the company, I was working at my first full-time job, uh, worked on Collins Street as an analyst. Uh, I quite enjoyed my job. It was, uh, by some means, my 
my first ideal dream job, uh, being able to do writing analysis uh, at quite a high level at an early stage in my career. Um, I got bored pretty quickly, mm. uh, wanted to make some changes to the company, uh, you know, try new things. Um, and I guess I, I learned that in an organization where I was trying to do a certain task or deliver a certain set of results and trying too much out of my pay grade, as I was told, um, you know, does have effects. And I guess I can sympathize with that more yeah. and more as an employer as well. Organizations tend to have a lack of agility at times, yes. Sure. So, um, you know, I was, I was reading uh, the news one day and I read about my co-founder, Ryan, who at that time sold his first company at a young age. And, you know, with all things you read on the internet or listen on the podcast, you might need to verify all the facts yourself to, to make sure that it's not just someone's opinion uh-huh. or a, a puff media piece. So I, I went to uh, seek out Ryan, who apparently sold his first company, and tried to learn more about what happened through the process and how he got to that process. And that's how I met my first co-founder, Ryan. Um, we became friends. Uh, I decided to enter a startup incubator with someone else. And um, in the end, uh, we changed our idea to a Bitcoin one and I, I got Ryan to join. So um, that was sort of the genesis. It was basically for, I guess, a, a new career pathway. Uh, mm. I quite liked, I, I didn't know what a startup was, even though I was quite tech savvy. Um, I didn't know there was a, a methodology to try and start a business. I thought, you know, some people were just lucky at a young age to have the chance upon something that made money or they were more talented than, you know, everyone else. Mm. Um, I think I quickly found through both meeting my co-founder Ryan and going through this incubator program that, you know, there are actionable steps to take towards starting a business. There are some business frameworks to think about. Um, and also, you know, considering the context of a technology company, uh, there are ways to raise money and things like that. So that was, you know, born out of, I guess, frustration of, you know, my position, which probably many people find themselves in, uh, but also, you know, taking small steps over probably in the course of a year, a year and a half to try and make a, a new pathway. And I guess once everything came together, it was quite easy to leave my, my job and say, hey, everyone, I'm, I'm going to try this wacky new new thing where, you know, they, they give you some money and you build something and try and make more money out of it. Um, <laughs> quite, quite more commonly accepted right now as the more startup incubators and accelerators as well. Yep. Uh, but seven years ago, it was uh, even more, more niche than it was than it is today. Mm. So it sounds like you've you monkey roped from your existing career into um, Quinja uh, through VC and through the incubator. Um, I've got some questions in terms of like I can, you know, and this is again talking to the soft side of things, but you've gone from, you know, boredom in your job to, you know, now this you've gone to like a, like you've come up with an idea. It seems Bitcoin oriented. It seems really interesting. You know, it's shiny. It's new. Um, but then also you've got to figure out how to raise funds. You've got to figure out how to set up a business. You've also got to figure out what the hell is Bitcoin and how you can, you know, add value in this space. So how does one go from being completely bored to then, you know, surely when you're setting up a business, there's a bunch of overwhelm. How did you navigate all of that? 
uh, yeah, it was absolutely overwhelming, uh, especially in the early stages. Um, I, I guess, you know, th- throwing yourself in a deep end, not mm. only starting a, a new company, but knowing that the success, uh, success rate is very low, failure rate high. Um, you know, are you going to be doing this in three months, six months? Mm. Uh, you know, a sensible thing is always have a, a backup plan. What next? Uh, I guess I just threw myself into the deep end. Um, and, you know, we all, no one starts this position knowing how to manage a team, uh, what the product is, or even what the product looks like, especially in emerging tech. Mm. Uh, everyone in this industry is still figuring, figuring this out. And, you know, lots of uh, assumptions seven years ago might not stay, hold true today. And even right now, people question how much of the knowledge is, is you know, true or just contextual for this point in time. Mm. So, um, you know, m- my favorite quote that I like to say a lot is, you know, be relentlessly resourceful by Paul Graham of Y Combinator. And I guess that's just what we had to do, uh, not just myself, but everyone in the team at different stages, we, we all sort of learning together and the only thing we can do about it is just try and be resourceful um find people who may have you know gone through similar experiences um again that's only it's it's helpful but of limited help at the end of the day it's just yourself and you know your team and how you get through it together so uh, yeah there's, there's no right answer except the learning process i love that be relentlessly resourceful. If there's any takeaway, that's amazing. I love that. So we talk about success and failure. How did you also, just on the similar note, like we're going in, were you aware that setting up, you know, your company called CoinJar, it was hinged somewhat on the success of Bitcoin. Is that safe to say or am I off on that? Yeah, I would say our company is probably more fintech than crypto. Sure. Uh, in that, that we try and, you know, like many financial technology companies, deliver uh, benefits to users. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not so concerned. I mean, I, I do believe that cryptocurrency is the best way to deliver benefits to our users. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the company is predicated around making life, financial life better for people as opposed to making this cryptocurrency thing work. Brilliant. So tell us, how is CoinJar doing that? How is it making financial life better for all of us? What is CoinJar and how is it doing that for us? Yeah, so I think um, the basics of uh, financial betterness, it's quite clear because we can measure it. Mm. It's usually cheaper, better, more money, faster. And I think we can pretty much measure a lot of those experiences quantify i think that's quite different from some other industries which might sell you a a consumer good or something which is really hard to pinpoint your experience i totally get it i'm a life coach (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so i think that's a tricky one right so um, uh you know you're measured by and I guess it's also the industry of where it wants to be and where it is now. We all imagine a, a financial future that's freer, uh, where more people uh, can have access to financial services. Mm. Uh, being unbanked or underbanked is a thing of the past. Um, I guess in Australia, we're really fortunate to have a, 
developed financial system, a, a strong one in that. Mm. Um, but I think the narrative has always been uh, in the future as this movement grows, are there a lot of people who don't have access to the correct financial services or, or the financial services they want and cryptocurrency helps deliver those financial services uh, to them potentially much better than any financial uh, bank could do in, in the future. Um, in the current day, Coinja is a digital currency account. You can buy and sell major cryptocurrencies with it. We've got a debit card that allows you to, to spend it at Woolworths or any supermarket. Um, and we are also having uh, more features of how to use cryptocurrency. So we are looking into you know, borrowing, lending, most things that a traditional financial institution would give you, uh, but with a cryptocurrency skew on it. So I guess we believe by making these tools available, uh, we make things more competitive, we reach uh, a high level of service, and uh, the company is a lot about objectively better experiences. So the experience is better, but somehow we can measurably show that this is going to be better than some of your existing uh, financial tools. Wow. So I'm still trying to wrap my head around the bit where you said I exchanges in digital currencies. Yep. Which I, which I get, right. So it's like, yeah. it could be Bitcoin. It could be perhaps Ethereum or, you know, all these different currencies that exist out there, but then I can take my coin jar debit card and pay for stuff at Coles or Woolworths. Yeah. So we've had a debit card for about five years right now. And the mm -hmm. question is, uh, what is cryptocurrency if you can't use it? You know, and so, you know, that's uh, the, the pain point we try to solve. We try to make mm -hmm. it usable and easy. So sure, it's a lot of a chicken and egg problem. Many people don't have cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, how do you get people to use something that they don't already have? Uh, so it's, you know, making tools that make it usable and practical in real mm -hmm. life. Let's just say you do a piece of work for someone halfway around the world. They pay you by Bitcoin. It comes to you in a matter of minutes. You can go down to a shop and spend it. So I think that's very much something that works today and uh, very much uh, a future that we hope emerges. So the bit that I'm struggling with is, is Woolworths accepting cryptocurrency or is it exchanging it into the local currency for them to... Yeah. Collect. It exchanges on the, on the fly to a regular debit card, which you can use. Ah. So they don't ex uh, the shops don't accept cryptocurrency, but anywhere in Australia that accepts uh, a debit card, uh, you can use our CoinJar swipe card anywhere in Australia. So um, just to make it practical. So again, it's more about providing practical benefits to users rather mm -hmm. than having a, a cryptocurrency solution just for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah, which there are many different cryptocurrency wallets out there, but I think the usability is kind of what you're alluding to is kind of your focus point. Correct. Yeah, amazing. And so in there, when we're talking about, you know, all these different systems, like there are all these different cryptocurrencies out there. Um, for someone like me that's never invested, still feels like it's somewhat speculative, like why would I put my money in there? Like I don't really know, you know, what I'm doing with it. Um there are different things like there is Bitcoin, which is just facilitating currency exchange, which CoinJar can help you do. Like you said, you've got an exchange, like you can have Bitcoin on your card. You can go and then at a market rate, you can buy local currency basically when you're buying bananas 
at Woolies, right? But then there's certain things like Ethereum, stuff like that. We're talking about stuff like the code actually contains or your currency contains code. For a layperson like me, can you explain what's going on with that? Yeah, so I think Bitcoin made strides in the idea of digital money, programmable money. And I think there are other teams who have tried to take this further to say how much can we program your money and how much instructions can we build into this uh, monetary system. So, is that, so like, when you exchange, it has a flow on effect or it's like you exchange a piece of code and it behaves a certain way? I guess all digital currency is based on code. Yeah, so, of course. So, um, uh, the, the the architecture is similar. I would say uh, some of the ideas are similar, but um, yeah, all these new cryptocurrencies have their own little nuances and they believe that it improves it measurably or that they could do more in the future with it. So in the case of Ethereum, which you were speaking about, um, the idea wasn't to build a Bitcoin replica per se, but a sort of a decentralized computer that can process not only monetary transactions, but uh, software programs through their network. So before you had money that's not controlled by any one government, uh, the Ethereum project looks at maybe taking a software program not run by any one person. So these are new ways of you know, thinking about not only money value, but you know, who owns it. At, at the end of the day, it's a new thought experiment which has been un- unleashed on the, the human race and you know, for, for some, you know, we're all playing a part in it. And if you want to take part in this weird experiment, like, you, know, you can always obtain cryptocurrency for you know, a few dollars. You don't have to invest a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the more, the more interesting thing rather than thinking that your cryptocurrencies might go out or go up is trying to figure out how it works and what have I actually got myself into? <laughs> Sounds a bit like Dorothy in the rabbit hole. So I want to tune in. So if I wanted to buy it, let's just say, Amrit, at the end of this episode, is super keen to want to buy some Bitcoin. Can I just sign up with CoinJar and find my way to some Bitcoin? Is, that, is it as easy as that to a degree? Yeah, I, I think there are different uh, levels of difficulty uh, of using Bitcoin. You can go to the expert way. And the expert where you wouldn't need a, a middleman like CoinJar to help you hold the cryptocurrency, exchange the cryptocurrency, the whole idea of the movement as well. You could do it all yourself. Mm. Um, but in practicality, not everyone has the time investment or the headspace to take expert level steps to becoming their own bank. Mm. Uh, there, there are a lot of easier ways to get into it. And CoinJar is definitely one of the easiest ways uh, to get started. It's basically like an email account. You can just go up, sign up online and get started. So questions I have then is I've heard of these uh, horror stories where people signed up for Bitcoin when it first came out. They had a password to their cryptocurrency. Since then, cryptocurrency took off. Bitcoin went up and they've got like now a million dollars worth of assets, but they, don't, they forgot their password or they don't remember where they put their cryptocurrency on their digital device. What is yeah. going on there? Is it how is it locked in such a way? Is it just is it is it the password that you're meant to remember? Yeah, I mean, and I guess if you want to use an analogy, it's sort of like cash. If you lose the cash, then well, it, it's gone. Mm. 
So um, I, I guess those people have taken the expert pathway to cryptocurrency, trying to manage a lot of their own uh, private keys, uh, trying to manage all, a lot of these things themselves when they're probably not well-primed or educated on how to take best steps not to lose your money. So it's not, you know, it's you've probably read it in the newspaper, in the media, it makes it for a great media article. And you know, mm-hmm. it does happen from time to time to people who don't secure it uh, in the proper ways. So um, again, I would suggest, you know, starting easy, starting on the easiest mode, uh, use a service like Coinjo or any one of the reputable services online. Uh, if you're ready to step it up and, you know, take charge of your, your own money to a higher degree, that, that's always available for you. And I guess that's, again, part of the ethos of the industry. It's, you know, a matter of choice. It's an alternative. Uh, do your own research. And uh, yeah, you can take agency over your own money in a way that wasn't previously possible. I love that. So one of the things that's really poignant for me in this present moment is just, you know, we've got two young men here talking about finance, which, you know, when I think about finance, I kind of think of button down suit, collared tie, you know, uh, kind of gray hair. Well, I have bolded, but, you know, generally bold hair. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, is it, there's this whole you know, thing that, you know, currency, wealth structures and all that sort of stuff are like institutionalized and they belong to, you know, like these institutions which are run by, I don't want to, you know, sound biased, but, you know, people that are mature, you know. Um, but here we are, you know, younger people are getting interested in financial technologies. Um, you know, like seven years ago was, was like you said, was fintech even this bigger thing? Like now people are talking about, you know, financial technologies and they're excited by this sort of stuff. Like what is, what is going on in this space? Like what do you kind of see the future? And I know this is massive speculation on top of speculation. So obviously there's that, you know, grain of salt that I've got to take with this. But what do you see as being the future? Just like, you know, let's say, you know, CoinJar does its thing um and it's thriving what is it thriving on the back of like what's it helping facilitate is it just like an everyday banking system um that is decentralized and facilitating the exchange of all these anyway i'm projecting things into your space what do you see the future as being yeah i think in many industries with the advent of technology we've seen huge structural change be it publishing uh you know shopping retail shopping now and you know telecommunications and you know, a lot of people have been waiting for these changes to to come to the financial aspects of the financial industry mm-hmm. and i think that's sort of playing out already you see a lot of new uh banks without branches um you know digital only banks uh new banks uh, in australia that are not the big four mm-hmm. uh, so so new brands and more competition hopefully giving better service and uh you know uh, experiences to users um and I, again if you just talk about the the benefits to users i think you can already imagine a more competitive uh playing field in australia has uh, some benefits um, but taking that further how about if it's a more competitive financial industry altogether um, how about if new players uh you know young people like myself can start a company can start a brand around a financial product that you know uh, quickly gains popularity and trust in a short amount of time. Um, I think it's a better future for everyone if you know we can have a more competitive industry. 
uh, more smart ideas from all around the world and I guess uh, fewer traditional uh, red tape probably uh, had to yeah, finance, the finance industry has always been a bit harder to crack. Um, I guess for, for good reason, you know, there's a lot of issues of safety around money, investment, um, making sure to, to protect uh, people from, I guess, shysters. It, it, and it, this has been going on for you know, thousands of years. Mm. Um, so how, how do we best protect people? But at the same time, you know, how do we have a permissive environment for uh, new technology for new ideas uh, to, I guess, improve the industry. It's an interesting balance there, isn't it? Because I've read somewhere that you also can't bank with some of the banks here in Australia just because of how innovative or just, you know, the risk involved with what they perceive as being the stuff that you're up to, right? Yeah, I mean, it's improved a lot over the last seven years, but especially when we first started, there was, you know, uh, a lot of difficulty around payments and banking and it's you know it's a risk management game it's an unenviable position for the banks as well i mean the banks have had a lot of strife in the last you know 12 18 months uh, in australia around some of these same things that they were trying to avoid like you know uh, reporting uh, and aml which means you know how, how do they id the customer where do they know where the payments are going mm. um, so i think those are increasingly big problems as well you know technology seeks to serve to solve some of these things but i think technology sometimes also has unintended consequences and you mm. know with increased reporting of banking and things like that i think everyone is asking at what point uh, do i have again maybe self-sovereignty over my own money um, is everything going to be digital one day and what happens if i do lose uh, access to my bank account uh, does that mean I lose access to all a lifetime's work of money and wealth, which I've built on myself as well? So uh, I, I think these are some interesting uh, issues in, in today's world. Um, mm. Not to say that you know Bitcoin, crypto, or Coinja is the solution for all of them, um, but uh, it's definitely something to be aware of. And I, I guess knowing our part to play, both as I guess an end user of this financial system, and I guess this has been maybe making it better as well. And at the very least, it's indicating that there is innovation in this space, um, even if it isn't the end result, um, a path has begun to move in a new direction. Um, and where, wherever that takes us, people are exploring it. So I'd love to sort of tune in and bring it a little bit back to you. What do you think it was about yourself that, you know, obviously you were bored at a certain point, um, you know, as an analyst, and then you kind of bridged over to, to you know, all, all the overwhelm, let's just <laughs> call it the overwhelm. So you bridged yourself over to, to that world. Was there certain things about your, like, temperament? Obviously, we've talked about resilience. But was there certain things about you that were better suited to being an entrepreneur from the outset? Or is it something you groomed yourself into becoming? Mm-hmm. Um, like living life, you know, now you're, I'm speaking to you, and you're in London, you set up offices there as well. Um, you know, Coinjar is doing its thing around the world. Um, what was it like? Is there something particularly unique about you that kind of got you there, or was there some skill sets that you evolved along the way that you pay particular homage to? I think uh, I've met quite a few successful entrepreneurs, and I guess you know everyone's different. Everyone has their own style. Um, you know, I'm sure there is a risk profile to most entrepreneurs who probably are, are willing to do. Uh, take slightly more risk than maybe most people 
and that might be career risk. Um, you know, there, there are people who have families who also take risks as entrepreneurs, so it's not like, you know, they also have a different risk profile, um, but they still choose to go forward. So I do think that there is some element of, you know, risk-taking as an entrepreneur, but overall, you know, a lot of successful entrepreneurs have met all sort of different and unique in their own way. I think my journey probably the most has been predicated uh, upon, I guess, my friendship with my co-founder. Mm. Um, you'll see in technology many times they've got a founding team of you know maybe two people. Uh, three is a bit of a tight switch, but I think two, three is a good number of having complementary skills, both technical and, and soft skills, uh, who can work on projects together. Um, being an entrepreneur by yourself is an incredibly lonely process. It's very tough. You know, mm. some people can make by have to have, you know, their partner, their husband, their wife, their girlfriend to work with them. And I tip my hat to that. Uh, at least you have someone in your journey with. Mm. Um, but um, I think it's some, some say that a, a business co-founding relationship is even, uh, you know, it's more than a marriage. You know, equity is forever, forever, forever. Right? Mm. You can't really change those things. Uh, even by going to court or whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, I do think at least my personal experience has been a lot about my relationship with my co-founder. Um, you know, we're very different people. Uh, mm. I guess socially we wouldn't hang out together at the same places or, or do the same things, but uh, as a working relationship, it's been seven years. And, uh, that has, I guess, been the, the key defining uh, aspect of what the company is built on and I guess how we, treat people as well yeah i love that and uh i've heard you say when you first met him you thought he was uh the next uh mark zuckerberg in a way <laughs> yeah yeah he definitely has uh, all the requisite skills to be incredible and there's been challenges on your journey as well like i remember reading up on a certain part of your journey where um you ended up having to let go of some people and that was like exceptionally hard for you to sort of digest at the time yeah uh, i guess uh in for i guess a a young uh, company leader um you know how fast do you want to grow the company Mm. um especially in this world of you know venture capital backed startups very competitive space uh you're always growing the industry is volatile sometimes you grow sometimes you shrink uh and it's easy when you you know read about it in the paper or you know layoffs happen or you know this company frank oh they you know they, they probably grew too fast or you know uh, whatever the case right it's it's never a pleasant experience on either side of the table i guess in our case particularly because small company you know have a mission on a mission together uh, all share something more than hey this is just a job which i show up to uh nine to five mm. um yeah, and I guess that's just something you have to deal with. You have to just be honest. Um, you know, I still speak to many of these people. Um, we had someone come by the office recently, and it was good to hear his take maybe quite a few years later on how that experience went down to him and how it affected him personally. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's all part and parcel of uh, growing a company. And so if you, like, obviously you've grown a lot as you've grown your company. Looking back, would you change anything in particular or has it all just been lessons well learned, lessons bought and paid for sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything 
I would change. Um, mm. I'm just grateful more than anything, uh, everyone who's helped on the pathway. Um, yeah, I, I guess at the end of the day, I always say it's, it's more a people, people thing than myself thing. I'm just happy with all those interactions that have got me to this point. And hopefully my interactions have impacted people as well. I hope they continue to impact people that are tuning in now as well. So for those that are tuning in um, that, you know, kind of have the ambition to not necessarily leave their job, but are inspired to do something different with their life and perhaps, you know, monkey rope into, you know, they've got some burning ideas or they've got some passions or some interest in some other things. Is there any advice you've got for those? Yeah. I mean, just, just start, take, take small steps to your goal. Um, I mean, I, I went into the deep end and that helped me immensely to focus on one thing. Everyone's path is different. All you have to do is make sure you take some measurable steps uh, to whatever that, that goal is. Asha, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and the energy to be here today to explain to us what CoinJar was about to basically uh, distill, you know, what was going on in the Bitcoin space. I know that after listening to you, um, it makes it a lot easier for me to just go, okay, I can jump online and just literally, you know, find CoinJar, buy some Bitcoin, at least dip my toe and try and understand what's going on in this whole space of cryptocurrency. Um, it does make it a lot easier for me. So I think your mission of trying to make, you know, it easier to transact with digital currency, well, it's worked at least for one person, which might just be me. <laughs> but I know you've got 400,000 users, so it's not just me. But, um, but yeah, I really want to just take a moment to thank you your time and energy and sharing yourself with us here today but also you know this the wisdom the commitment the resilience that you refer to that it takes to kind of walk onto the path of becoming the individual that you have and you know taking just all those steps along the way to for us to have such an informed conversation here today and so i just want to thank you for that and also just wishing you all the best for the future as well thanks so much for having me of course and for those that want to tune in the easiest way to get in touch is to check out CoinJar online yeah, um, App Store, uh, coinjo.com. Perfect. Thanks so much. Cheers, thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.